somewhere on Long Island. Oh, I like to live so pleasantly. Live this life of luxury. Blazing on a sunny afternoon. In the summertime. In the summertime. What's going on, everyone? How are you? Welcome to the Opie Radio Podcast. I find myself uh, way out on Long Island, coming home from a family function at my brother's house. And I got the opportunity to talk to a very, very funny comic today. We're talking to Dez Bishop. He has a hell of a story to tell. He uh, was brought up in Flushing, Queens. Then at age 14, I believe, his family shipped him off to Ireland because he was a bad, bad boy. And then from there, somehow he went to China, learned Chinese, and then started performing comedy in Chinese. I believe he did it for some kind of documentary. And then uh, a few years ago, he moved back to the United States. So we're rolling up on to his house. He summers out here uh, on Long Island. And we're going to talk to Des Bishop on the OP Radio Podcast. It is too hot to be doing this. What's going on, Des Bishop? I'm recording already. This is what I do. Welcome to my sort of neighborhood. Thanks for having me, buddy. How are you, man? Good, man. Good. You're sweating already. Dude, I, I, well, I've, I've been swimming, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been having a wonderful day here. And then I had to ruin it by saying, hey, man, can we podcast hey, can a little we, bit? Can we podcast? I couldn't say no to a radio <laughs> legend, you Ooh, know? Ooh, I like that. <laughs> We're too white to be out here, though, man. It's too hot. I know. Well, actually, I've been I've been in the sun all summer. I'm probably going to regret it in about 20 years' time. But uh, you're a little younger than me, and I'm your future. Yes, you're going to regret it. Absolutely. Are you an Irish American? You have an Irish American uh, hue. Uh, I'm I'm a mutt. I'm Polish. I'm German. I'm Irish. I got some Canadian stuff, whatever that would mean. And then I did that uh, 23andMe or whatever it's called. Yeah, I do, we and did Ancestry. I'm 0.01 Sub-Saharan. Really? Yeah, kid. I'm 1% Ashkenazi Jew. Well, 1% oh. European Jew, which I assume means... By the way, this is my house. What are we, what are we doing with the... Uh... Well, it's windy, so I'm just trying to figure out a place we could sit or okay. hang out. Well, I mean, out of the wind, we can sit back here. Yeah, let's it's do be that. roasting hot. Let's do that for a little bit. And then... Uh... Or we can go on the beach and get a get a wind block and sit on the beach. Well, you. <laughs> we could like set up a tent or something. How how long have you uh, had a house out here? Since 1989, man. We were here in the the shit times. Oh shit! Because this area is legendary, so you know about it. I lived it. You actually lived it as a kid? Yeah. Back then, we had so, the two years we couldn't get out here. So yeah, let me explain. Yeah, so we're just sit here. yeah, that's cool. I, I think you want a little bit of wind because it's. Yeah, I understand. So we're in uh, we're West in West Hampton, Hampton Beach. Dunes. Yeah, West Hampton or, Beach or West Hampton Dunes, the western end of Dune Road. Right, and I got it. All right, this is what I know about this area. So, when I was in my twenties, my brother-in-law used to rent houses out here. Oh, okay. So we could party in the summertime, right? And we would come out here, have a blast, and all these beautiful houses were all falling into the ocean. So you know all this. Yeah, we used to sneak into them and rob stuff. Well, you know, <laughs> not not rob anything like. 
anything super valuable like these houses were abandoned so we would take stuff out of them like and then my dad and and my brothers would like salvage bits of decent wood and we we made our original deck now this house was originally like on the ground this is the original house by the way really yeah this is this never got washed away which is a positive and a negative because you get the insurance money if it gets washed away yeah, which we never did so there's a lot of bigger houses around us now anyway long story short uh 90, 91 was a, a really bad storm. Yeah. Which kind of decimated the area, but didn't disconnect it from the mainland. Right. But we still got the summer, the summer of 92, we were still out here. Yes. Like enjoying it. And it, they were the best times because there was nobody here. It was like, it was like, it was like Beirut in the Hamptons. Like it really, <laughs> it really looked like, like it was, it was a total wash. Like they called it the washed out section back then. What the hell was that? That didn't sound good. That was just like a shower. Uh, whatever. Is that out of your pocket? Yeah, it was my phone. <laughs> did, it, did my phone just shatter? Did you just smashed. I think it landed on something, did it? That's all right. Anyway, oh, there's shells. Yeah, yeah that yeah, broke too. <laughs> the shells. No, I, the I, shells I, sounded uh, like your phone just smashed. I was panicking that it was my yeah. actual phone. But so, then, actually, uh, in the in the in the autumn of '92, the um, the 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 place breached. Yeah. And. Uh, so we couldn't get here for two years. We, we actually got an amphibian. This is funny. Well, this is not that funny, but we, got, we had to get an amphibian in the summer of 93 to check on our house because all the houses in this end were being looted by people that were coming over from Cinema Riches on boats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And looting the houses. But actually, there was nothing of value in our house, so we weren't looted per se, but we found loads of empty bottles of like whiskey and stuff. I think they were just coming over and partying of in our course, house. Of course, they would break into a house and have a party. Yeah. But so. you were out here, so when they closed Dune Road, because we were out here partying and watching the houses fall. They were all on stilts, and That's every right. once in a while you would get word one of them's going, going into the ocean, That's and everyone right. would come out here just to check it out. But then it got so bad, like you said, that they actually closed down Dune Road, and all these houses were wiped out. Yeah, so... For example, this house here across the street, uh, yeah. th th that was the Mullins. They, they just recently sold it, but that was like a small gray house like this one. And then after 91, it was just gone. Right. But they used to come out and live in it. Right. And then after 91, it was gone. But then they rebuilt, and then they sold that, and they made a ton of money. Like, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money down here. Yeah. They bought lots for... For bought, nothing. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 didn't, we didn't spend as much on this, because my mother bought this in the washed-out days. Really? My parents bought this in the, in the bad days. Right. But we had friends down here... Can you? Can I ask you how much she uh, bought the house for back in the day? Eighty-five. Eighty-five thousand. Yeah, but that was. But it would. You could have got it for less than that in in between between uh, ninety-two and ninety-five. They were selling oceanfront lots that were actually underwater. You know, yeah. the, during the breach time. Yeah. They were selling oceanfront lots for ten grand. Right. And but you were literally buying. You were buying a, a, an Atlantis, an underground lot. Right, and but one guy—I think one guy ended up buying a, a ton of those lots at ten thousand. Yeah, and he, this one guy, saw the future of this place that they were going to come back, and uh, so he bought a shitload of the lots. And I don't know sold if he them. saw the future of the place. I think he may have been involved with the village and knew that they were probably going to win the court case against the Army Corps of Engineers in Southampton. That, Don't that, believe in any dream stories here. <laughs> no. There's, there's, there's a whole other story to be told about, about this area, but I'm not going to tell it right. because I still have to deal with these people. <laughs> yeah, because there was a lawsuit. I, I, know that, I know that part of it, too. So there was a lawsuit because there was total uh, neglect in this whole area. Because well, the, the reason, yeah, the, the, it's man-made the problems down right, here. Right, In that they built jetties up until... Whatever you know, seven hundred Dune Road, whatever you know, whatever address it is, they built jetties and then they stopped building them because they ran out of money. Right, because of then, all all the corruption in this area. I'll say it. Cause, yeah, you. Yeah, but, cause but yeah, I'm so, out of the area these days. So in the seventies, 
uh, whenever they built that. So slowly the drift, th this area stopped getting drift from, right. the, from the beach deposition or whatever. Right. So, so actually it was a man-made reason why this particular part of Dune Road got annihilated. Yeah. But these are first world problems. I mean, these are people that are upset that they don't have their uh, their dune road houses so that they can restrict access to the beach so that normal human beings can't get on the beach. Fair enough. So don't feel bad. No, fair enough, man. You know? But it, but it was uh, decimated and it was a lot of corruption and red tape. And so then there was a lawsuit that uh, the town won or somebody won. The village of West Hampton Dunes was created to fight the Army Corps of Engineers yeah. in the town of Southampton. And so then now they have to put sand on these beaches for the, I don't know, for the next 20 years or something like that? So it, doesn't, actually, so it yeah. doesn't happen again. Yeah, but then after that, who knows? But for now, it's great, and the beach is nice and big. and It is, I mean, it is lovely. Like, I have to say, my mother took, like, a gamble. Like, people say great investment, but really it was a gamble, but it paid off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's great for me because, you know, I, I was on your show before, you know, when, when you were with Jim, and we talked a little bit about my Irish story, but because yeah. I was in Ireland for so many years, yeah. this was the place I came back to. So actually, this was the place that kept me connected to America more than like, I'm from Flushing, but I always made sure to come back for this. I didn't yeah. really care about New York. You know, and and uh, now we're off and running with the podcast, because when I met you on, on the radio, your story was so freaking fascinating, and, and you're so funny. And I want to just go through that a little bit again. Sure. So you're, you were born in Flushing, Queens. Well, let me, before I get distracted, is this wind all right, or do we need a more a God, less windy spot? See, you're good like me, man. Well, I just you're I, obsessed. I, I hate to get in the flow, and then all of a sudden I, I'm like doing your thinking. Right. I, well, I got a windscreen today, so it might work. I know you don't have your little headphones. <laughs> no, I don't. My little, my little head. I should have brought some little headphones. Well, the breeze is nice. That's the problem. You know, it's like right. do you want the breeze. I, I think it's all right though. I don't I, think it's I, too I, loud. Hopefully, if not, I'll just come back and see you. This is yeah. not a bad spot. Not to a bad Yes. about to hang. So you, uh, yeah, you were born in Flushing, Queens, which is very, very uh, Chinese now and very Asian in general. Yeah, well, it wasn't when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was like a classic New York blue-collar neighborhood in that blue-collar sensibilities would probably what could be considered middle-class income. You sure. Know? So guys who made good money, New York Union guys, fi cops, firemen. Right. And uh, so it was just like a classic sort of uh, Irish-American, Italian-American, German-American, and, so, you know, and like little Jewish parts kind of neighborhood. Well, I brought it up because uh, I got family from Flushing and Astoria. So oh, you do? I, so I know, the, I know the old neighborhood. We used to go back after we moved out to Long Island. I'm, I'm from Huntington originally. And we would go back to Flushing and Astoria to check out, you know, some relatives and stuff. And we watched the change happen where, like you said... Pretty much a white middle uh, middle class neighborhood, and you you fast forward a couple decades, and all of a sudden it's all Asian to the point there's barely any English signs anywhere. No, I mean my uh, my street 188 Street where I grew up, we sold the Chinese, but I guess there's about four white families left on the on the street. For real, right? But I got to be honest. I mean, I loved growing up in my neighborhood. I thought it was like. It was close enough to Manhattan that you 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 were you were part of New York City. Yeah. But it was suburban enough that you could have like a carefree childhood. Yeah. And obviously, like like guys of our generation, we lament about the freedom of that time. But it was a great childhood. But as an adult, I'm glad that the neighborhood is the way it is now because actually, it's more interesting to me as an adult than it would have been if it stayed exactly the oh, same. I, I get that because the food's better. Right. And there's just like a lot of shit that you know there used to be like six restaurants you could go to right now there's about 350 yeah there, there's restaurants on top of restaurants no the only reason i bring up the 
the Chinese slash Asian thing is because fast forward and we could get to that, you moved to China. So I was wondering if you were influenced by the fact that Flushing was drastically changing to an Asian neighborhood. It was probably... Oh, that was definitely that a was big wind. gust. That was a big gust. <laughs> that was uh, wind. Well, we could, you know, we could go in the house if you prefer the... the uh, whatever you want to do. It's up to you. The air conditioning has just been turned on. If okay. you prefer... Let's go in the house and then All we right. Can... I'm not a big AC guy, though. My yeah, wife but, is. Oh, really? Yeah, she loves AC, but I hate it. Because I, I, I was brought up... Uh, one of seven kids and poor, so god damn, this house is gorgeous. It's all right. This is gorgeous. This is like a perfect beach house. Yeah, it's a good beach house. I, I wish there was more houses like this. I feel that the area kind of lost a little bit of its charm. Oh, by putting up the uh, like the mega mansions and yeah. stuff. Yeah, so no. anyway, the the flushing changing to China Chinese was maybe like twenty five percent of the reason. Okay. In that. The biggest reason was I made this TV show about learning Irish, learning Gaelic, right. to do stand-up in Gaelic. Right. And then I had this obsession with China, which was a little bit connected to Flushing, but also connected to the first series I ever made in Ireland, which was about living on minimum wage. So I lived, I did four minimum wage jobs for one month each. And then the first job, I ended up working with all these Chinese guys. And Ireland had never had immigrants. You know, Ireland was always like a place that people left. Yeah, yeah. Now Ireland was booming. All these Chinese people came to make money working in fast food places. And I ended up working with all these Chinese guys. And the series was very successful because it was kind of like a different look at Ireland. And Irish people weren't treating these Chinese guys great, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, you know, so uh, there, Ireland was much better at emigration than it was at immigration, yeah. it has to be said. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I got really friendly with these Chinese guys. And like, I... I went to visit them in 2004 and I was like, fuck, China's very different to what I expected. So I got, I caught a little bit of a China obsession. But then every time I would come back to visit my parents, the next door neighbors were Chinese, the grandfather couldn't speak English. I would try my limited Chinese with them, you know, my like yeah. ni hao, er sign, you know, I could count to like 10. Yeah. And uh, I was dying to learn the language, but I could never feel like, you know, it's very hard to just sit down and say, I'm going to learn a language. Of course. But then once I did the Gaelic thing, I was like, oh, I could do this with Chinese. Right. And I, then I, it took me five years to well, get Well, I'm fascinated by that because I, uh, I did six or seven years of Spanish, which is probably the easiest language to learn. Well, I don't and know if it's I, the easiest. Part. I think it's pretty close to the easiest language. That's why they offer it to most schools. And long story short, I can't speak it for shit. Yeah, but and even when I was a senior in high school, the whole class was in Spanish at that point. Really? I and I barely passed. I got like a 66. So uh, I think she was just, you know, taking care of me, to be honest with you. And then I go into the real world and I could only pick up a few Spanish words here and there. So part of uh, why I find you so fascinating is the fact that you, you were able to learn uh, Chinese. Because that seems like a really tough language to learn. Yeah, well, a lot of it has to do with the scenario. So I promise you, if you had one year of your life to completely put aside with nothing else to do other than learn Chinese, right. you would also get pretty good at Chinese. And if you added to that, knowing that your entire progress is going to be watched by Irish people at least, right. uh, you know, as, like, as a TV show, and that at the end of it, you were going to have to get up in front of people and do stand-up comedy in Chinese right. as your ultimate goal. Right. The, the motivation would be such that you would definitely have learned the language. I, I understand that you're trying to explain that to me. My, my brain just exploded by that scenario. Just, it, might, it just imploded because you learn the language and now you got to be funny in that language? Are you kidding me? Most people can't be funny in their, in their native language. Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, I mean, I was a little bit more confident because I had done the Gaelic thing. Right. But obviously, when you're learning Gaelic, all Irish people have to do that for school. It's like compulsory. What is Gaelic? 
It's just the break. Irish language is completely different to English. Right. It's a Celtic language. The English took it from us. Right. <laughs> but no, but they did. They actually, they actively wiped out the Irish language. You know, they, they, made, uh, they made it uh, their business to eradicate yeah. it. Uh, it didn't get completely eradicated. So some parts of Ireland, uh, Gaelic is still the first language of the area. Okay. So I moved to one of those areas for one year right. and, and learned the language. But in terms of comedy, if you, when I'm doing a TV show in Ireland about learning Gaelic, you're doing a thing about an experience that everybody has had. Yeah. So all the jokes about learning fucking kill. Sure. Because it's like, oh, I remember that. Or yeah, that, yeah. oh, I used to hate that in school. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're kind of like doing jokes about an experience that all these guys have had. But then when you're doing, when you're doing comedy in Chinese, learning Chinese to do comedy for the Chinese people is not comedy that's going to be funny to the Irish people back at home watching. Oh, okay. So, so that was like two different things. I had to be funny about my experience of learning Chinese and English. Yeah. But then I had to be funny in Chinese for the Chinese people. I encourage anyone that's listening to this podcast to go on YouTube and put in uh, Des Bishop Chinese. Oh, oh, no. We got to hear that now, Greg. How do you say crushing it in Chinese? This is my Irish friend, Des Bishop. Uh, oh, it's very nice to meet you. I mean, you come out on this, I don't know what show it was. Yeah, no, that was at the end of two years. Just in, in my defense, oh, okay. or, or sorry, in defense of my progress, or yeah. sorry, in terms of people going like, wow, that's amazing. I stayed an extra year because I loved it so much. TV show was done, I did the stand-up, I did my challenge. And at the end of the second year, Joe Wong, who you may or may not have come across in your Opie and Anthony days, uh, no. I don't know. But anyway, no. he, 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 he did well over here before he moved back to China okay. in English. Yeah. He was on Letterman four times. Okay. And he, uh, he got me on this TV show, but that was at the end of two years, but it did go well. Whether it was a year or two years, it's still, uh, for someone like me, uh, incredibly amazing. It really Are you is. wondering what I'm saying? Because I didn't subtitle it. Uh, no, but that's, that's what's fun about comedy. I, I, I could tell you were being funny. Yeah, and yeah, And I could yeah. tell the crowd, obviously, was just loving it. The editing's could, not amazing, but I did have a good show. But, but the rhythm of it, and uh, no, the video I saw you crush, so I don't know if No, that was a good it. gig. I put it up. I put that up myself. I oh, okay. All right. But uh, no, that was a good gig, and that was... You know, that show, but it's, China's so weird. Like, I probably like 20 million people watch that. Wow. But then it just comes and goes. It's right. very hard to, like, really get into the, the zeitgeist of China. Right. So, you fell in love with China? I loved it, man. I didn't want to leave. I just couldn't make a living. And I was, by that time, I was, like, in love with this girl. In fact, one of the jokes is about our relationship. And the first time her parents saw me perform is when they watched that show yeah. on television. Yeah. Uh, that's a good story, too. I know a lot about you, Des. I, I, I was uh, researching before I came uh, down here, but uh, you fell in love with a girl from China, and you were trying to get her to move back to the United yeah, States. Yeah, but, but she, she comes from one... Uh, she was born in that period of time where uh, you're only allowed one kid. Yeah, she's a, a balingho, as they say, a post-80s. A post-80s. Yeah. That one, started in 1980, the one 1980, child one-child policy, yeah. And then uh, you knew you had to leave China? Or I why just didn't... Well... I mean, you, you left someone you loved behind, though. So that's I, I'm trying to get inside your head. Like, how did you, how did you uh, wrap your head around that and go, man, I really did everything I could to bring her back to the United States. It's not happening. But now I got to go. Well, I mean, 
Or is there? Or is there? A- no, no. I mean, listen. The, the romantic story would be he stayed in China forever and sacrificed <laughs> right. the twenty years of comedy career that he had built up for her, so that he could be a, a, a fucking English language teacher <laughs> in China for the rest of his life. But uh, all that pussy gets stale. You know, that? <laughs> that'd be a big sacrifice. But uh, no, I'm kidding, of course. But uh, no, I mean, but love is love, man. I mean, yeah, that, that's- but she was fifty-fifty. She she really pondered moving across. But I just. Knew that I was not going to be able to stay in, yeah. China, in China. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be able to stay there. And she was an actress, and it was probably unlikely for her to make the movie. And she she pondered it for a while, but in the end, it just didn't work out. Yeah. There was like a there was kind of like a window, and uh, it sort of passed. Is it true that she didn't speak English too? So your no, whole, she didn't speak English. So your whole uh, relationship was in Chinese. Yeah, well, that's when my my Chinese got a lot better being with her. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Her what English, is she doing now? Do you guys keep in touch at all? Or all I know is she has a boyfriend and a dog. And a dog? I messaged her a couple of times. She's, you know. She, Wait a minute. Dogs in, in China, though. That's a little it's weird. It's not dinner, bro. It's, it's a, a pet. little weird. No, it's really popular now. With affluence comes pet ownership. Yeah, but isn't there parts of China where they really. Eat them? Yes. Yeah, and but it, it's more of a Korean thing, to be honest. Yeah, but I heard there's like. There's a festival. Yeah, the festival. Every year the festival's on in the Western media. There's like a ton of stories about it. Right. But in China, it's not really a story. Dog is like really not a big part of the, the diet in China. Right. And uh, But as Americans, that pisses us off. But then another country can look at what we eat and go, hey, man, why are you eating that animal? Why are you that's, eating that's, chicken? Or oh, chicken hypocrisy. or cows or, or, or pigs. I mean, I can understand if a vegan gets upset. But anybody who gets upset, like, how could you eat dog? It's just right. total hypocrisy. Yeah, because they, they don't understand, uh, you know, dogs like we do in the United States. I mean, the, But they, they also only eat one breed of dog. Like, like, oh, really? Yeah, they eat a dog that's bred to be eaten. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's what they're eating. They're eating like this this dog that's bred to be. Eaten. Is it a mutt? I actually don't know, but oh, I just know, know okay. that it's like like the way that we kind of eat like one chicken. You yeah. know, like they they only eat one breed of dog. Well, it's funny. Uh, Americans will sit there. They'll be eating their bacon, and pigs are supposedly the most intelligent, one of the most intelligent animals on on the planet, and they'll be eating their bacon and their pig products. Looking at the the fact that people in China eat dogs, going, "Oh my God, look how disgusting and outrageous this yeah, is!" Yeah, because it's our pet. Yeah, because we feel like dogs are one of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, listen. We could go back in history and look at all the hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> but how is China? Because is it is it modernized and all that? Like, we don't really know much about China in It general. really is 50-50. So, like, if you're in uh, certain parts of Beijing and a lot of parts of Shanghai, you're literally in, like, super modern cities with way better transportation systems than New York City and really, like, like modern uh, Western chains and all these things. Uh, and, and and things are expensive, actually. Like, rents are astronomical. Yeah. To buy an apartment in Beijing now is more expensive than New York City. But how do they get their money if it's so expensive? Because then you hear about the well, cheap according labor. According to Trump, they're screwing us. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... But you hear about cheap labor in China, but you also hear... I've heard this, too, where everything is so expensive, so I don't understand. It doesn't okay, match Okay, well, well, what happens is China has one point, nearly 1.4 billion people. So they have a, a very small percentage of a, of a billionaire class... But that billionaire class is probably about 40 million billionaires. Right. You know, it's only a tiny percentage of the population. So they just have, I mean, I've just made up that number, but you get what I'm saying. I understand, yeah. So if if America is 300 million or whatever it is, 350, um, a percentage of America, uh, like the, the amount of Chinese millionaires would be a big percentage of America. It's a small percentage of China. However, that's still enough people to fill those cities with a lot of cash. Gotcha. Like a lot of cash. Gotcha. I mean, listen, 
My mother sold her place in Flushing for way too much because of the same money. You know, apartments in Manhattan are too expensive because of the same money. Right. There's a lot of, there's a small percentage of a lot of people in China right. that have a ton of cash. And so there's a major disparity there. So there's a lot. Insane disparity. Uh, uh, but that's uh, all because of our demand for consumer goods. So since the 80s, they've been, all those people that own those factories have been busting out all the shit for cheap. We think it's super cheap, so it suits us. But they've just been making oodles and oodles of cash yeah. for, for quite a long period of time. And, you know, most of them are connected to the Communist Party. And all those people connected to the Communist Party that made money made a ton of it. Right. Like, almost unfathomable amount of money. Really? A disgusting amount, really. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so now all that money has been sort of slowly finding its way back around the world. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I'm not a Trump guy, but the one thing that is true about the people that are angry about that thing is a lot of Western money got sucked that direction. Right. And it's coming back this way now, but it's coming back in so the So you agree what he's saying about that with the tariffs well, and... and uh, I, I, don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily agree with the tariffs. I, I don't know the, the way to go about it. Right. But the point is that we benefited from uh, cheap manufacturing of goods, right? But at the end of the day, that made a lot of people in China very rich. Yeah. So... Now uh, that I guess I, I think it's going to happen naturally anyway. So I actually don't think they need tariffs. But the one thing I think he's right about is China needs to be put in line right. in terms of the um, just the way international commerce right. works. It's it, it's uh, out of balance right now, and, and they I, need I, I to. Do, I do think so. And, need, and they need to give us a, a little extra. That's but it. The, yeah, but the problem is that I don't. My concern about the way that Trump is going about it is I don't think it's going to work. Because they're so bloody patriotic and they have so much cash. The Chinese government has so much cash right. that I think they can hold out longer than we can. Ah, really? That would be my concern. That's fast. I, I never heard that take before. That's oh, really? No, that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I've read that take. It's not just my own opinion. Right. But I, I, I think that they can hold out for quite a while. But you also and, got a lot of, you got, uh, you know, knowledge on this more than But the they don't have person. to worry about... Democracy, Right. So, like, eventually Trump's going to have to get reelected, or right. eventually Republicans are going to have to get elected, or Democrats are going to have to get elected. So the pressure from the electorate comes. Whether people think that our system is rigged, which it may or may not be, there's still elements of democracy. <laughs> but there's still elements of it that work yeah. in the sense that if we end up in a trade war that affects us economically, the pressure will grow on the elected officials. It will not grow in China. So to dumb it down, they just have to wait out the Trump years and hope that the next guy that comes in doesn't really take uh, you know Trump's uh, policies and continue. Well, on the flip side, they're trying to move their economy towards a more consumer-led right. economy. Right. So the hope would be that actually uh, their wages, like it's no longer the manufacturing is no longer going to be valuable for Western producers. Okay. So I, I actually think there'll be a natural shift back to decent wage manufacturing jobs in yeah. the West, unless automation wipes that out. But listen, I'm getting beyond my pay grade in terms of my... <laughs> in terms of my it's kind of fascinating, though. So, all right, we can change subjects a little bit. So, uh, when did you leave China? When did you finally come I back? I finished in 2015. Really? So, when I first met you, you were pretty new to coming back? Yeah, I was pretty new to coming back. Because it's was, been about two years. Yeah, it was, that more. was part of it. I was doing Caroline's, I guess, that time. was yeah, probably how yeah. I got on the show. And... Uh, I, I was just uh, basically trying to sort of establish myself as a, as a new comic in New York. All right, a couple things. What was what's the one thing you miss about China since oh, you left? 
I actually, honestly, summertime, I miss eating uh, lamb skewers out on the street in Beijing with like hundreds of Chinese people. They're drinking beer. I don't drink, but like we're all just having fun outside. Right, right. And I, I, I kind of miss the, the chaos and the disorder of China. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And you stayed in China because they started a comedy scene, right? The, I stayed the second year because I was really like... But a, they literally were starting up comedy while you were new, there. It was a new thing, yeah. How How is that possible as human beings that comedy is a new thing? No, no. Comedy is not a new thing. But Stand-up comedy as we know it. Stand-up gotcha. comedy. So what did they find funny before stand-up? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, like show. Huh? They have like this two-hander traditional style of comedy. Kind of Abbott and Costello style. Okay. Who's on first, what's on second. Like yeah. Play on words. Yeah. Misunderstandings. Yeah. Uh, there's a famous Canadian called Dashan, uh, Mark Rosewell. He, 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 he's Canadian, but he became really famous for that. Right. He's like in his 50s now, but he does a bit of Chinese language stand-up now. I got to know him over there. But that was, that's been huge for a long time. And that was like big on their TV shows in the 60s, 70s. Well, more like from the 70s on. After the Cultural Revolution finished, yeah. it, it, it started to get you know, really popular. And by the 90s, it was like at its peak. Right. Now it's considered a little bit dated. Right. You know, the same way that like maybe... Bob Hope, you know, it's yeah, gone yeah, into that it. sort of... Like uh, the Catskills Yeah, it's gone that. into the sort of Catskills... So, so how did... Uh, all right, then, so how do they sort of decide that the traditional American stand-up uh, comedy is... Well, the internet made it popular. Oh, yeah, you know they why started, you're right. You're they started right. subtitling Louis C.K., Chris Rock. They started subtitling all those specials, and slowly guys started getting into it, right. you know? And uh, some of them then just started doing it. And it was just a very new underground thing. It's never going to be super mainstream. There's been a few times where it started to pick up a bit. But the censor always kind of comes in and kills it. And it's very hard to keep it fresh when there's so much that you can't talk about. Isn't that amazing? That's, I mean, it's, it's starting, you know. That I, and I warned you guys years ago because they went after radio guys first about what we can and can't say on the radio way past the FCC regulations. We, you know, as a radio broadcaster, you knew what you could and couldn't say. And then all of a sudden there was a, a whole bunch of PC set rules that started coming into place. Like, like radio guys got fired all the time just by making fun of the Asian accent. Is that right? And, and and they used to do it in a way to try to be funny, not to be you know a, a, a dirt bag, and and they would get fired. So stuff like that. And then I started seeing it slowly starting to, to move into stand up comedy. How do you feel about that? Well, it's yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, you guys seem to be getting in trouble almost every other week. There's a you know, there's a, a new. Comic when I'm famous enough to get in trouble, I'll be happy to be in trouble, man. Dude, you should be. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you should be way more famous than, than well, you are, and you're on your way. And I, mark my words, as we sit in your mom's <laughs> your mom's beach house. Well, it's mine now. She gave it to us, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, good for you, man. So I don't even need to get famous. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Don't worry about me, man. I'm good. I got my I'm house good. in the hands already. <laughs> right. All right. But going back to uh, China, so what are the what are the things you can't joke about in uh, in China as a stand up comic? Oh well, in terms of those small clubs that I was playing. Yeah. Uh, you can you can joke about quite a bit because it doesn't matter, you know. But like, say when I was on that TV show, uh, kind of like everything you'd expect and more. So you can't do anything about the Chinese government. Obviously, the most critical thing you could probably do is make a good joke about pollution, right. only because Xi Jinping has decided that pollution is no longer acceptable. So it's kind of okay to joke about that, right? Uh, 
you, even though Xi Jinping was making a big campaign against corruption, it was probably still too dangerous to make a joke about corruption or even to make fun of, say, funnily enough, I took my last name, like, B, fourth tone B. Uh, there was this famous comedian called B. Fujian, hugely famous when I got there, like the main host, like, like, like as famous as uh, like Ryan Seacrest type, you know, d- okay. did everything. Right. And at a, at a private event, a corporate event, he sang an old song that made fun of Mao Zedong, who's like already accepted to be a problem. You know, they say he was, he was 30% bad and 70% good. That's the official communist line on <laughs> oh Mao God. Zedong. Okay. 30% bad, 70% good. Uh, he did this old song making fun of Mao Zedong. Somebody filmed it, put it online. That's he's, it. He's gone. I, we have not heard from Bifu Jian since. I'm not saying he's in jail, but I'm saying his, his career, you know the way here, it's like, you know, you and Ant, you know, Ant gets in trouble for saying some shit. Yeah. And then like, you know, Ant's now in his little, you know, he's got his little thing. There's no little thing for Bifu Jian. Right. There's nothing. They just wipe you off the yeah. face of the mat. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't exist as a performer. You think they killed him? No, I think he, he's just quiet wherever he is. But, he's, but you think he was scared enough to, to realize, I just got to no, shut he'll up never have a, No, it's not even but he's scared. They control it all. They control all media. Right. All the media is the government. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, know? no, no, they control everything. So he, he's never been on TV. But has, has people heard And there's no podcast. There's no podcast like <laughs> no, B. Fujian's story. Right. There's podcasts there, but there's nobody doing a podcast about B. Fujian and like, what was it like to be completely... Right. You know, erased from the entertainment world when you were literally and the I, main guy. And I would assume everyone else in entertainment just knows to not mention the guy and to not associate with him. But then there was another guy, Jalpin Shannon, who I loved, and he was just like almost like hmm, a, a, a cross between like 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 an Adam Sandler slash Gene Wilder. If you could imagine, sort of like just somebody who's just huge but also respected, and you know, anyway, he he was huge but older, and. Uh, in everything and did all these sketches and all these movies and then Xi Jinping just basically decided that his humor was too low like as in like not co- not conservative slash cosmopolitan enough right and considered it beneath what Chinese people should like and Zhao Binshan he hasn't been eradicated like Bi Fujian but he has no career now like it's just retire because wow. there's no point right and that was quietly done and there's no uproar his co- he had this very successful comedy club shut down, like his whole career gone. And he was like a mega, like Jerry Seinfeld mega. So I, so it, it makes it tough to, to go edgy with your comedy over there. Yeah, so what happens... You got for, that risk uh, of being... Uh, oh, there's no edgy. There's no edgy in there's, China. There's no edgy. No. That's too bad, right, Des? There's no... There's, I, I had a joke in English. I think I tried to do it once in Chinese, which was... Uh, the thing that's difficult about comedy in the West is, you know, you have to find out where the line is right. and then push the line a little sure. bit. But it can be hard to know where the line is. Right. The great thing about China is the line is very fucking clear. <laughs> you know exactly where it is. So that's, that's one less decision that you need to make. Uh, and like, you know, so, I, don't, I don't even know if that's a bad thing because like, that's what's so confusing whether you do kind of like an edgy radio show or stand-up. You, I said it all the time. When, when you do a radio show, you never know when your last day is going to be. Not because you, you decide to blow yourself up, but you'll do something that you've done a million times before and for some reason that day it's not okay anymore. Yeah. That's I mean, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, but that happens in China a lot, but that's like a decree from the government. Yeah. But 
what I will say is, no matter how bad you think it is here with all the, the bullshit that goes on and the corporate decisions that are made in, in, in all these different companies that you work for, it's, 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 it's never as, as the, the stakes are never as high as they are in China. Right. Like, they, like you would have a genuine fear of, of, of having no future. Your whole career wiped out. Yeah, and, 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 and sometimes people do get imprisoned. But I also don't want to make it seem like everyone lives in fear. But there have been some people that have been just like they make a decision that they're corrupt and then they're put into jail. Now, in America, you do get a second chance. I mean, a lot of guys have had their careers wiped out. I mean, Louis C.K. is going, right, going through it right now. And I, yes. I, I feel like he's going to be back. Well, I think Louis is definitely going to be back. Yeah. Because, and I, 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 but, I personally but, think he deserves to be back right. because I think that is a... That is a gray area and it's not black and white. I right. think Harvey Weinstein doesn't deserve to be back right. because that's a major abuse of power. But I, I think people can argue, Tignatara can argue all she wants. But I, I, I think Louis did not 100% know the gravity of what he was doing or right. even if it was as grave as people are saying. Right. But either way, I think he deserves a second chance and will get one. I agree with you. There's enough of a gray area there wherever you fall on that issue where he does deserve a second chance. And he'll be back. I don't know if he'll be back to the level he was. He was, he was on top, man. It was yeah. unbelievable how big he got. I watched the whole thing right in front of my eyes. Where is he now? Do you see him in the clubs? He, well, he's only popped in once or twice, but he hasn't done stand-up. But I think he's made a... a a conscious I, effort to just literally I, I don't go want away. to speak out of school, but just, yeah, I understand. But just from the just from the grapevine, I believe that he's just taking a break, and he, he, I, I, I'm pretty sure he plans to come back. But when he does, it will be, it'll probably be like he'll gig every night, and he'll get ready to do something very specific right. about what happened and launch himself into the next phase of his life. He'll make it brilliant, you know that. And I think he should make it brilliant because yeah. at the end of the day, all right, let's 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 put to the side all the angry men that are pissed off about Me Too. Let's look at Me Too really objectively and say that it's a good thing for society and it's a it's a it's a it's a cultural change that needed to happen, right? So is everybody that didn't quite understand the culture before supposed to be wiped out from society like China? Right. I mean, as if Louis won't have something interesting to say about Here's what I completely fucking misunderstood about my behavior. Here's what I completely misunderstood about being a man. Here's what I completely misunderstood about my relationships with women. As if he doesn't have something valuable to say to sure. society about that. Right. I mean, the example I use is, my mother smacked the shit out of me, man. Not because she, was a, not because she was a bad mother, <laughs> but that's what you did. You hit your kids. Like, she literally thought she was doing the right thing. We come from a time where you got hit. Yeah, but Sick now that us. is considered disgusting. Yeah. Right? So am I supposed to write a, an article in Vulture.com about how my mother fucking hit me? No. We understand that it was a different time. Right. Now, I'm not dismissing Louis C.K.'s behavior, but I am also saying, is it not safe to say that Louis may have thought that it wasn't as fucked up as it turns out that it was? Right. I, I, I fully understand. You surely have to have that space. And, and your angle's great because you did live in China and you understand how serious this is to like censor people and just wipe their careers or their life off the map, you know? Yeah, and you got to be just, very just, careful just, with that power. Yeah, yeah. And listen, and that can be abused, but I also, I also don't think that it's fair to be like, People are just going to abuse this. I think it's fair that women feel comfortable coming out and 100%, 100%. saying. So, so it is that gray area. But like, 
like I don't know why people if 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 power dynamics shift I don't know why people don't think new people are going to abuse those <laughs> like, right, right, like power is right. always going to be right. abused you know and now so, we're and now we're discussing it too openly you know uh, the yeah. whole Me Too movie yeah and and I, I know there's a lot of a lot of women comics out there now and they're making jokes about how how oh it's tough on guys to have to deal with this like poor you you know and and, and that's fine I'm, I'm happy with all that humor even if it fucking even if it pricks me the wrong way. I'm yeah. happy to be pricked yeah. and figure out what I think for myself. Yeah, but well, I, it's it's tough. We, I mean, traditionally we're supposed to be the aggressor, and that and now it's like I, you're almost gun shy to attempt anything because of uh, some of the stuff going on now. Yeah, well, and I, I and I think that's fine because conversations around consent are like well, consent is one thing, and we should all understand that, of course. No, but I also think that like isn't part of that conversation to say, well, men have always felt like it's their job to. To, to present the right. desire. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so we are going to have, are we going to make a decision that actually that's not natural, that that's a learned behavior? I think some of it is just part of us. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, outside of men g- fucking up and, and being horrible, but just in the everyday nature of things, if guys don't push, then it probably won't happen, which I'm not saying it's our job to push. I think there's something natural about it. Right. And I think most people are comfortable right. with that. So let's just be clear about what's acceptable and what isn't. And you're using the word push. I understand what you're saying by that. There, you could, Sorry, push you, is probably the wrong word. No, you could push to to the point where you understand that it's it's still acceptable behavior. Yeah, push is not the right word. The word I'm trying to say is... Uh, pursue. Yeah, pursue or, 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 or like try. Right. You know, but <laughs> right. no, I don't mean try to fuck. I just mean like... Like Try the example, I have some on. jokes about it in my show, right? So the example I give is, I'm born in 1975, so what I thought I was supposed to do when I started making out with girls, like when I was a teenager was, I thought it was my job to sort of try to put my hands in places, and it was her job to say yay or nay. A hundred percent. Like that, That's my generation too. That's 100%. the dance, right? Because we all joked about how she knew karate to keep that's your That's the hands. joke, that's right, yeah. Oh, you do that yeah. joke? Oh, oh shit, I didn't know it was a, who did I rob that from? <laughs> <laughs> Because as a guy, we all understand that, 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 you know, you try every move you can and then... And she blocks. And and it was understood if she doesn't want this, then she's going to block with some karate moves. Yes. And, and and I think most women accepted that as fine. Now when I hear these new conversations about consent, I think, oh shit. So we're looking back, maybe that's not cool. Or certainly when you when you say it out loud as an adult, it right. feels kind of right. wrong. But I, I don't think it's 100% wrong. So what I'm saying is, let's be clear, because I still think when the conversation about consent is done, it's still going to be guys that are naturally just sure. moving forward and women are deciding on the pace. But even though we were, we were trying everything when we were growing up, there was something in your head that, that told you, okay, you know. I, no, when is too far. Exactly. You, did, you knew that too. I, I need to say that. Yes, I knew when it was too far. And here's the thing that I like about Me Too, sorry, in terms of what it taught me, and certainly from conversations I've had with women as a result of this conversation happening. Yeah. There's more fucked up guys than I thought. 100%. That's the one thing I've learned from this is, oh shit. I agree with you there too. There's a lot more fucked up shit going on than I realized. I I understand the woman's point of view uh, a little more since this whole Me Me Too thing popped. I have to say 100%. Can can I go back to getting hit as a kid, by the way? And you said how it's wrong now. So when this topic would come up on my radio show, Phones were lit. A lot of people still hit their kids out there. And a lot I got of people two. want to hit their kids. I got two kids. I can't imagine hitting my kids. I can't imagine it. But, you know, you start saying that it's wrong. 
Oh my God, they will go after you. Is that right? They will go after you. Yes. They believe it's still acceptable behavior. You it's know. not wrong to want to hit them, though, by the way. Of course. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. That's, that thought goes through your head. All, all the guys like our age with their kids, just like, I don't hit them, but I swear to God, sometimes I want to smack this shit out of that little person. Just, just one time, just so they know one time what it was like for us. Like, oh, that's too far. Because it's going to take another generation for that thought to totally get out of our heads, I think. Yeah, the, the non-hit kids, yeah. it won't enter their minds. Sometimes I whisper to my wife, do you understand what would happen to me if, if I did what he's doing right now? And she's like, shh. Yeah, but we it's can fun. Do, we can know? handle this another way. I know, but I mean, oh boy, you punish him with a timeout, really? And we live in New York and, you know, we have a very nice view. So we joke like, oh, that's just like getting hit as a kid where he's in timeout looking at, at the skyline of Manhattan. <laughs> what, what, what lesson is he learning there, you know? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because my dad never hit us. You know, my dad was like, my dad had a horrific How many child. kids in your family? We have three boys. Like three, I have two brothers. Okay. My dad never hit us, but he had like a horrific childhood. It was like a thing for him to not hit us, but my mother did. And then one day it stopped because we were like too old. Right. But I do have no real negative thoughts about yeah. that. But then at the same time, I think that houses in general are calmer even. It's not just the lack of hitting. Yeah. I think, I think things are calmer now. I, I, I look back to that time and I'm, I, I don't have any hangups about it either because I know it was part of society back then. And I remember the day, like, I'm one of seven and five boys, wow, really? five boys and two girls. And we all have our story where, you know, my mom lifted that wooden spoon or something. She used to like to hit us on the back of the legs. She wouldn't hit us like crazy in the oh, face. Oh, no, I never got hit in the face. Yeah, no, it was mostly back of the legs. But that one day where she lifts that wooden spoon and you just grabbed it, you knew... It's over. You're never getting hit again. It was a good moment. Oh, the joke I used to say about that was, and that's when the silence started. And I would beg to be hit after that. It's like, what's the matter, Mom? What's the matter? <laughs> right, right. Oh, nothing. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and then you get worse. married and it keeps going. <laughs> right, that's even worse. I, I try to find humor in it because in my family, if we did something wrong, we had to go outside and get our own stick. So I would come back with a twig and then they would laugh like, oh, that's funny. But then they, you know. They, oh, you had to get your own stick to be hit? Yeah. Oh, that's some Wasn't fucking, that weird? That's some... Uh, well, Handmaid's Tale shit. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> if the Hot Wheel tracks weren't handy. I know wow. that. I know that's a hack joke, but it is real uh, for people my age. Those, all of us got hit with a Hot Wheels track. Really? Oh God, yeah, because we all had Hot Wheels, and it was like a whip. Ooh, the orange track that. across the back of the legs. Really? Yeah, yeah kid. Oh, I never got that. Yeah, kid. I got, I got the wooden spoon. I got like hangers. I got the obviously I got the belt. Hangers is is the worst. They were a little whippy. <laughs> <laughs> no more wire hangers. Oh yeah, that's a good Crawford. First of all, let me say I love this guy, Dez. He understands my problem with the wind and microphones. Plus, he's funny in English and in Chinese. I'm guessing high IQ score. No? We left a few online links in the description for this episode. More with Opie and Dez Bishop coming up. I promise. While I remember diving under my bed when my mom reached for one of those old orange Hot Wheels tracks, Opie wants you to remember something. But tweet Greg at Opie Radio and let him know what your mom or dad whipped you with back in the day. Or what you use to whip your kids these days. At Opie Radio. You're up, Greg. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. 
Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet, too. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Opie Radio. One more question about China. So how bad is the pollution? Well, apparently it's better actually since I was there, but but how could it be better within only a few years? Oh no, they've been cut, they've been shutting down a lot of factories. They literally made a concerted effort. To really? Shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I did get word back from like some Westerners that live there that actually it's improved quite a bit. But on the bad days, it was really bad. Like you could almost taste it. Uh, Would you then, go outside on the bad days? Well, I would because you just like you just got to get on with life. But I wouldn't exercise or do anything too strenuous on the bad days. And was it just a fog, like a brown yeah, fog? Yeah, it would just look like it would just look like a very gray day, but right. it was pollution. Right. And then you would pray for wind or rain. Windy days there was no pollution. Right. Uh, but so there would be periods of time, but it's like the weather forecast, you would know that it was going to be shitty. Right. And it you know, it was what it was, you know. So when the Asians walk around uh, New York with their masks on, do you laugh at them like this is nothing compared to where you can't... Yeah, but wh- sometimes they're doing that because they're paranoid about germs. Oh, really? It's more yeah, germs than Yeah, sometimes pollution? it's germs. And uh, apparently today's a bad pollution day in New York. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's well, nothing, yeah. Like, nothing like China. Uh, so Like in New York, a horrific day is like 40 right. on the whatever it is, PM 2.5 or whatever they call that number. It, a bad day in Beijing was 400. Jeez. Yeah, I had a 400 day when I was there. Wow. Disgusting. Are you just uh, gasping for air at that point? It's just, you can taste it on the back of your oh throat. Oh my God. Are, and are they germaphobes in China in general? Or No. <laughs> that is one thing they are not. <laughs> it's filthy there. Right. It's dirty, but you just learn to live with that. Yeah. Although they always take their shoes off and they go in the house, but you have to, like it is dirty. Right. So you went backwards, which is fine. So I wanted to start from your beginning. So you're, you're in Flushing... Um, Queens, and then at 14, they ship you off to Ireland. Yeah, I flunked out of St. Francis Prep, which Ooh. is just like a Catholic high school there. And uh, just, I, I wasn't really that interested. I was actually being bullied, but that wasn't a word at the time. Right. And uh, by some of those fucking goombas from Howard Beach. And they, they, were, a, they were a big clique, and I, I fell foul with them. And there, there, was, there, was some, there was some goddies in that clique, which added to the... Uh, Added to the fear factor. Oh, that's why they shipped you out. Now it all makes sense. Well, no, actually, well, if you're close to like gaudy people, and well, I wasn't. I mean, but he, he you know, the, they were he, in the neighborhood though. He, no, he was in that clique of people that I fell foul of in St. Okay. Francis Prep. You know, it was over a girl, and uh, so anyway, that was fine. You know, just natural teenage bullying. But you know, I was a little bit afraid. But that that sort of fizzled out before. But all that stress, I wasn't too interested in studying. Plus, it was like the graffiti days, and I was a little bit into like graffiti and early days of drinking and so it was just like a load of shit going on that I really shouldn't have been involved in and when I flunked out my mother was like freaking out that I was going to end up really screwed up my cousin had ended up like with some issues right around that time and she was like he's going to be one you know he's going to turn out like him right and in the midst of all this fear a cousin of mine put the idea into my head to go to Ireland and I said it to my mother I was like what about Ireland to go to boarding school and she kind of like 
wasn't really too wild about it, but when we looked into it, it was pretty cheap. And my mother says today that her feeling at the time was, I was gonna be fucked up regardless, so I might as well be fucked up there where it's probably safer than being fucked right. up in New York. Who knows, because you can never say what would have happened. She may or may not have been right, but it certainly was good for me because I got into education immediately when I got there. So were you living with family there? Or? So I would stay with cousins at the weekends. Oh, okay. And then in boarding school during the week. And it was kind of like a shitty boarding school. It wasn't like fancy. And it was like really rural. Right. And it was really the opposite of New York City. Right. And it, it kind of made me as an individual. And I, 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 it's hard to say whether I would have been a comedian or not because I was always a bit of a performer. But certainly like all that experience of fish out of water, seeing this other side of Ireland, seeing all these characters, all those characters were the early parts of my comedy career. Right. Which made me successful fairly quickly. So... I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't done that, but it kind of, a lot of my life stems from the experience of right. being chucked into that. How cool is Ireland? It's a great country. I've never I mean, been. I, I've never, uh, I would never not have had that life. Right. You know, it seems weird now because I'm back in New York and I feel like a bit of a New Yorker again, but really I'm way more Irish. I mean, I've spent way more of my life there. Yeah. All my friends are there. From 14 to what age? To like, I mean, I still have a place in Dublin, but... Do you really? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, in my mind, I still kind of live there. Do you but... go there once a year, twice a year? Oh, I go there all the time. Oh, you do? I haven't completely let go of my Irish life. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to... This trip here is a professional move, not a not a right. not like a life move. So, so there's a good chance you would just go back to Ireland oh, and, yeah. and call it a day. Absolutely. And live there. No kidding. Which is not good, because that no, well, that leads your motivation. To... I think you were, uh, I'm trying to do the math here. Weren't you like 19 or 20 when you stopped drinking? 19, yeah. 95. Last drink I ever had was right here. Right here? Right here. Literally right here. Oh, so the grapefruit beers I brought aren't going to go over. No, but there is a, I meant to offer you Corona. (laughs) No, no, I'm good. It was hard to be a good host because we were (laughs) already recording, you know? But there's Coronas in the fridge that I won't drink. (laughs) Right. So uh, anyway, uh, so you're in Ireland and that's when you realize I got to stop drinking. Well, 17. Actually, the first, I mean... I mean, I, I started drinking at 12. I started getting in trouble with drinking when I was 14. Got caught, like, pissing in this fireplace that we're sitting in front of. And, you know, just stupid shit when you're a teenager. But it was always never going to work out with me. Both my parents stopped drinking before I was born. Bad alcoholics. Uh, a lot of people in my family, bad alcoholics. It was just kind of clear from very early on that every time I drank, bad shit happened. Yeah. Blacked out early. All that shit. So, but when I was 16, and, you know, going on 17... That's when, like, I started having, like, these violent blackouts. So, like, not blackouts, like, oh, dude, you passed out on the street last night. Blackouts where, like, I would fucking end up in total chaos. Really? Bad fights. Like, I was just one of, you know, one of those guys, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde guys? Right. Why, I have no idea. If there's some suppressed anger, I don't know. But I would black out, and when I would come out of that blackout, I would be in fucking chaos. Can I, I gotta stop you for a second. Like, I don't understand blacking out. Like, I... Well, thank God. No, I... <laughs> Well, I, I guess you either have it or don't, because I, I certainly had my drinking years. Yes. And I, I, I drank to excess, passing out and all that. But when people talk about blacking out, that scares the fuck out of me, because I don't understand the concept that you're totally not aware of what's happening at that moment. Like, even if you're really fucked up, you're kind of aware, and, and you're still connected to reality. Well, I'll give you one example, because yeah, this, this one's a vivid one for me. I have plenty of them, but this one is vivid. I was a doorman on West 23rd Street in my summer job when I was a teenager, right? And so when I would come back to New York for the summer, and I remember one time I worked at 3 to 11, and my cousin was having a party, my first cousin. So I rushed back to their house, no drinks. I hadn't had any drinks. Get to their house about midnight, I start drinking. 
And I guess I was like rushing it because I was behind everybody and everything was going good. And then lights out, right? I don't know what time, lights out. And the next thing I know, I, I come out of it and I'm being held back by like three people. And there's this guy in front of me and I don't know why, but I punch him in the face. But I remember punching him in the face. But I don't know why I've just... You know, I I guess I'm afraid, you know, but I punch him in the face and he's like, why are you fucking hitting me? I'm trying to help you, this guy says. And then I came to a bit and the violence kind of stopped, but I was still super drunk. But I was told after the fact that just for no reason out of nowhere, I started trying to hit everybody. Wow. I mean, that's horrible. I hate saying that. Did anyone ever tell you why you wanted to hit everybody? Did they fill in the blanks for you? It happened all the time, man. I I don't know what it was about... I, whether it was like, you know, like Native Americans have a problem with booze and, you know, like it doesn't suit the, you know, it doesn't suit them physically or, you know, is it, is that some sort of weird reaction or is it like a suppressed anger that you don't know about? Yeah. But I, I had uncountable scenarios like that. The reason, the first time I went to an AA meeting where I was 17 and I went with my dad, but the reason was because the night before in a blackout, I kicked the shit out of my best friend and I didn't know why. Jeez. But... But it, it, it was, I won't bore you with the story, but it was more problematic than that because I was flying out to New York the next day. Right. And my bag and my passport was in his brother's office in Dublin because oh, I had got shit. it. So I had to see him the next day, the shame of it. They had to come in to get me my stuff. I mean, it was really horrible. But I felt, I couldn't believe that I had done this. Right. So that was the first time I went to... Uh, to an AA meeting with my dad and of course I was like hey dad I'll just go with you right <laughs> but I guess he kind of knew but anyway from 17 to 19 I, 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 I started trying to stop because the, it was the violence man like like that's I could have kept I could have kept drinking for years yeah but I was just like friends dropping like flies and like real danger shit that's know? that's incredible insight to know at 17 to 19 that you, you can't well, drink my, my parents had been in my head though like I think if I hadn't if my parents weren't sober alcoholics, I probably wouldn't have thought that it was. So you recognize this behavior, or they were in my head parents. all the time gotcha. saying, I, "I have a problem." Right. So they, they are the ones that told me I was an alcoholic when I was fourteen. And how did it? How did it finally stick? Because you said from seventeen to nineteen, you were like, and I don't know. I just finally stuck, man. Like I think it was just I got lucky and sort of followed what they were telling me to do. The sober people were telling me to do, you know. Right. But after seventeen. 17 to 18, I was stopping trying to drink. Then 18, I really went into the, the, the rave drugs. You know, I really... And when I started taking drugs, I no longer got violent. I was like, I solved the problem. <laughs> <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> well, but, but that didn't last very long because then I just like... Uh, which, which drugs? Ecstasy? Well, mostly or? just ecstasy and LSD and You speed. went LSD? Well, it was cheap. It was five pounds. Uh, An yeah. ecstasy tablet in, in Ireland at that time was uh, 30 pounds. Right. Which was about like $50. Right. So uh, LS, you could get a, a hit of acid for five, five pounds. And that would keep you going for like five times as long as ecstasy. Can you explain LSD to me? Because You've I, never taken it? I had My partying went as far as, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the 80s was cocaine. It was everywhere. I never really liked that. But uh, the first I ever well, went. I was just lucky. 
that I never had the money nor the access to cocaine. Yeah, honestly, I was doing uh, cocaine in Western New York, Geneseo, Rochester, Buffalo. We weren't getting the real shit. To, I, I don't think I actually. Well, they actually, weren't getting gnarly either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was it was this stuff that was cut with everything. I never really liked it, but the furthest I went was uh, shrooms. Oh yeah, well they used to grow in our boarding school. They used to grow the shrooms. No, they actually just grew naturally in Ireland before the first froze. Really? So like from September. And you know, you knew which ones would yeah, get yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. We used to. Do, I used to do shrooms in boarding school all the time. But then you pick one mushroom and you could kill yourself. Nah, you gotta know what you're doing with this, those mushrooms. They were everywhere, man. Really? These shrooms were everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. How's, we, how's LSD? Because I hear that's a little. Honestly, for me. LSD was just like more intense shrooms, but it's been a long time. It's hard for me to remember. All I know is I loved it. I remember the first time I took LSD was with my buddy. I won't name him, but uh, he'll probably listen to this. And I was 16 years old, and uh, we played NHL 92. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> On the Sega Master System. I guess it was Genesis. I, I, I Mega Genesis. Drive, maybe Mega Drive. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> uh, I remember when I, I came up on it, I remember saying to him, I was like, oh, I get it now. I get music. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow, the Zeropa, like the Zeropa, they're on drug. Like I, I, I really thought everything came from LSD. I'm a huge U2 fan and I never got into Zeropa, so maybe I should have done some LSD. <laughs> That was a that was a tough album, uh, album to digest. Yeah, I, I can't. I don't know if I'm I'm right on the time. I, I just remember thinking. No, that, I'm just trying to come up with a joke, but it is the truth. That's one of the only U2 albums I don't like. And uh, I I heard Led Zeppelin in like a new way, and and Pink Floyd, like everything just made sense to me at that moment. I believe it though. All those artists were on all sorts Possibly. of shit when they were making all that great I, music. So. so LSD just gives you a sense that everything makes sense, but also. It, it, it is. It is. There's like a weird, intense feeling, which has been so long. It's very hard for me to, to, to feel it. But I, I used to love the, 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 the I guess like almost like the most intense tickling you could ever imagine. But okay. more like an internal tickling. Wow. Like your, like your soul was being tickled. Right. And it was just almost like unbearable, but like amazing at the same time. See, that's what I want to ask you about because I've gotten uh, spiritual in the last few years and I, I'm, I'm going down that path uh, pretty heavy duty these days. And they talk about some of these uh, mind-altering drugs like well, LSD where, into, you, uh, what where you feel like you, I mean, you understand the universe or you, you see truly see God or really get in touch with your, with your, uh, your soul. Yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of people doing this. What do they call the high? Oh, the Hiawatha. Whatever yeah, the yeah. word is. I, I want to say Hiawatha, but I'm sure that's wrong. But And I've done, uh, in my sobriety slash cleanness, I've done um, uh, altered, like the concept of getting to an altered state to release trapped emotion or to better right. be connected with yourself, but not with drugs, with breathing techniques. Meditation. Atmosphere. Well, actually, one of them was called holotropic breath work but it was all based around breathing and uh, oxygenating your brain right anyway do you meditate yeah well it's part of the the, the 12 steps you know right so I got into it through that do you like it I'm not a great meditator at the moment though I still do when I kind of have a moment and I say oh I should try to it's hard 
And most people go, I don't meditate because I, I can't focus, whatever. But you got to stick with it. You got to stick with it's it. It's hard. But the it, mind when, is when like it, a glass of muddy water. They actually use it in Kung Fu Panda. But I had read it in a Tibetan book before. But Kung Fu Panda, the, the master said to him, if you keep stirring it, it will remain cloudy. <laughs> but when it works, you know, it keeps me calm. It keeps my shit well, together. Well, the thing about meditation for me is you can call it spiritual or you can call it whatever. I don't. It, it's scientific to me. If if you quiet in the mind, you will have more emotional balance because your thinking affects 100%. your emotions. Your emotions affects your thinking. Right. So if you can quiet the mind, you quiet your emotions, and you will have more right. emotional balance. And the less wound up you are, the better you deal with situations. Right. That's just like a simple fact of life. I'll share a little bit with you. So I'm born, you know, Catholic, organized religion, pretty heavy duty. I hate organized religion. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know if what you believe, but I'm just no. Saying, I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't I, believe in organized religion. I hate organized religion, but it also bothered me as I was getting older. Uh, getting older, like I have no like you know religious foundation anymore in my life. I just couldn't look at the the Catholic faith and go, yeah, this is for me anymore. So, but uh, meditation and yoga and all that, like it speaks to me, like uh, you know spirituality in general. You, you live spirituality like when you're when you're into organized religion you're not really living it you're trying to learn it and yeah, you're following a and set of rules your, and you're trying to follow rules that maybe you don't necessarily agree with and finally um, with all that uh, you know being more more spiritual I got a long way to go I'm not trying to oversell this I, I feel like I finally got some kind of foundation back in my life yeah I mean it definitely helps to get something especially because you've had like, like, like life changes the last couple of years so that's always a good time to find it right because yeah no then, kidding then you can say Okay, what 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 is it all about for well, me? Well, whether I, it's spiritual or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody has to have a moment where they decide who they are. I think the the things that happened to me over the years needed to happen because I, I took this as I'm holding this microphone in front of you really, really seriously, and I didn't have a balance in my life. I was really good at this and and had incredible success, but I was miserable because I didn't have a balanced life. So when when I lost my job the last time, a little over a year ago, I finally had to go, what the fuck? You need, you need real balance in your life. I still love doing this, and I'm, this podcast is a lot of fun, but I don't take it as seriously as I did all those years doing radio. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people go through that with their careers. I think the world that we're in, this kind of like public uh, entertainment world, right. it can be more intense. And actually, it, you can it can feel like it matters more than it does. Yes. Because your sense of self-worth and your yes. sense of identity gets completely tied up in it. Yes. Which is bad. Right. Because then you're, you're reliant on the reactions of others for your sense of yeah. well-being. And, and I mean, we're only human in the end. It feels good. When yeah, people are like, great. I listen to your podcast, it's awesome. Or, or I, 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 you know, I think you're funny and I love your stand-up, whatever. But man, I really believe if you don't have more of a balance in your life, uh, eventually that will destroy you. No, I, totally, man. Absolutely. But also, you know, the Buddhists say the practice of non-attachment. You know, this sense that when something gets taken away from you, if it leaves you completely empty, like that's negative. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have some sort of balance, then the thing that you're leaning on when it gets taken away, it can be pretty hollow. I was lost, but then I was relieved. And then I realized this was uh, an opportunity. I really believe there was an opportunity finally to wake the fuck up and realize all the other things I got going in my life that are that should be just as important. Yeah, so I mean, I'm working I, toward that. I, I think I'm getting close now, finally. But you know, I had that with booze when I was younger, really? and then I had it as well with a bad, bad breakup, engagement breakup. But probably with my professional life, I think I still chase. If I'm being on, if I'm ratting myself out here at our little meeting. <laughs> <laughs> 
if I'm going to be honest, since you're being honest, well, I probably still chase a little bit. Like, you know, I still look for uh, professional advancement as a sense, as the thing that needs to happen rather than I'm completely content regardless. Oh, no, I, I don't I don't see there's, that there's anything wrong with that. But you, I think I think the importance is you have the awareness that 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 is part of what makes you yeah yeah you. Well, yeah awareness is great but 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 you know but I, I'm also probably still not a hundred percent yeah I mean I I think I think that uh, because I have this American thing in my mind right uh, like it will feel like a failure if that doesn't advance so that I, I think like that I don't know if that's positive or negative I well you, I like your honesty you you know that's that's where you are right now with your life so um, but man in Ireland. And not drinking. That's crazy. Yes and no. Is it, is it a huge drinking culture? No, like, it is a huge drinking culture. Like, I actually made I mean, a TV. I made a four-episode TV documentary about Ireland's relationship with alcohol. Didn't make me hugely popular. It was probably like, <laughs> probably like, not career suicide, but like, I probably lost some fans. But I didn't mind because it was very obvious. But did you make it funny? No, it was funny, but it was like hard-hitting. But, but it was too real for some people? I guess, but that's, that's fine, you know, because I feel like if you watch somebody put out their opinion on... Ireland's relationship with alcohol and how much Irish identity and alcohol are intertwined and how that's a negative thing. Right. If you watch that and you end up hating that person because they've said it, it says more about you than about the person. Right, okay. You know? And, and I've, I feel like I've lived in Ireland long enough, not to mention consider myself Irish all my life, to have the right to say it. So that was totally fine. And if it's online, like, if one watches it, you will see that actually, like, there's no need to be upset about it. You know, right. It's just like looking at a thing and saying, it's the same way as if you watch a documentary about Americans are getting too fat. Right. And you know, fat people are going to be like, fuck this shit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> fuck I, this bullshit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, 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 what is, I'm fat because I'm American. <laughs> right. And I'm allowed to be fat. Right. It's my right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, long story short, uh, yes, there is a lot of drinking in Ireland. However, not being a drinker there is not any more difficult than anywhere else because okay. once you once you tackle the not drinking it's actually pretty easy to be a non-drinker what, what's the the drinking age 18 oh it is 18 so it's not one of those countries where the kids are sitting around drinking no, vodka, no, like no. that's more like oh, European that's yeah. more to do with the wine that's amazing like the wine culture but I think Spain is 16 but Ireland is Ireland is 18 do you miss it booze yeah it's hard to know man 23 years but, but you don't get the Nah, very, every now and then I, I, I just feel like it's an inconvenience, you know, in the sense that perhaps you don't have the, the mating ritual right. with, uh, with new people or, you know, you won't be part of the, like there's, say there's like a crew of guys at the cellar. I'm good buddies with them. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying which ones, you know, so nobody has to start trying to guess. And I, I'm good buddies with all of them, but every now and then they have their little sessions, right. you know, and obviously I'm just... It's not like they're not inviting me. I just have no desire to be there. It's like right. no fun for me. Right, right. Uh, but they're probably closer as a result of that than, than I am with them because, of, and you know, but there's not, that's like. A, but you're also in the right profession. There's a lot of comics that don't drink. Yeah, A lot, a lot of sober comics, man. No, yeah, I mean, I, I know loads of, I mean, yeah. it, 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 there's no problem. You just, I'm just giving do an you example. Do, do you smoke pot? Nah, no. So, so I'm you, a totally like, clean guy. Because when we were talking. One vice. 
<laughs> What's the vice? Getting on stage, ladies. No, oh, it's getting on stage is a fact. Total consensual, by the way. But uh, uh, the getting on stage, like, I mean, that is kind of a vice too. You know, well, because need, it is a drug. It, you know, getting that response from an audience is absolutely, absolutely it could could be a drug, and you gotta sort of be aware of that, right? No, no, I mean, it totally is. I, when you were talking about blacking out and all that, I, I wanted to go on a speech about how, uh, you know, alcohol is way worse than pot. Because you said you went to... Alcohol is clearly worse than pot. But I'll argue that all day. Isn't it amazing in the States, though, we have decided that pot is this evil drug, but alcohol is okay? That was a big theme in this series that I made. Oh, really? In fact, I made the, uh, the, the physical joke. I went to a supermarket. For real, we filmed it. I filled up my shopping trolley with booze. Yeah. And then I tried to buy two bottles of Tylenol. We don't, the, the, the brand is different in Ireland, but sure. two bottles of Tylenol. And you're not allowed. You can only buy one. <laughs> but it was literally five to six hundred euros worth of booze yeah. and twenty dollars worth of Tylenol. The and hip- I was only allowed to buy ten dollars worth of Tylenol. The hypocrisy. And then there's still guys, you know, in our government trying to slow down the whole pot train. And I'm like, I'd rather see the pot be legalized all over America than than the damn booze. Honestly, man, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. But I, 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 I actually, I, I'm for decriminalizing all drugs. And but I. I, I think there's a trade-off. I think if you decriminalize all drugs, consumption will rise. Right. Uh, but I think the harm will decrease. That's, uh, yeah, that's a fair point. But I, I think I there's harm that. that comes with the increase in consumption. But I think in general for society, right. I think the harm for individuals might increase, but the harm for society will decrease right. immeasurably, in my opinion. See, I'm going the other way. So as I get older, I don't like booze as much, but sliding back in a pot after taking like, 20 some odd years off thanks to Joe fucking Rogan fuck you Joe oh, he loves he loves he loves well, talking I, about the pot I was panicking because I I didn't I, no drugs nothing a little out not even drinking isn't that much with me but I went on his uh, podcast and the lead up I'm like you know he tries to get everyone high right and I'm like oh I, really I, I mean he's not forcing it you know you're your own person in the end but there's definitely a little bit of a pressure there and uh, it was 20 years and leading up to me being on Joe Rogan I'm like fuck he's gonna ask me and I'm panicking and I'm sitting there and he's like come on just a little come on he's blowing smoke at me a little bit just having fun with it and then I uh, I took a little baby hit calmed me down I I had a decent appearance with him and then uh, you know I'm back (laughs) well I mean but I don't I I don't regret it I don't you know what I mean I I feel like this is a good thing if that makes sense I listen maybe I shouldn't be saying that to you no listen man here's what I think I, I don't smoke weed because I, I just have like a personality where, where I, uh, you know, it, it seems to lead to other things. But uh, I do drink coffee, though. And I know it seems odd to make that comparison, but I, for some reason, I can control my consumption of coffee in that I enjoy the charge in the morning, sometimes right. the charge in the evening. Right. And I don't really see how smoking weed is really that much different to that. I don't. I mean, I. I yeah, I'm not like a pothead here. No, I know. So I don't really. I don't have any problem with anybody's consumption of anything really. Once it doesn't get out of control, and once it's not a cost to our society. Right. So my problem with like the overconsumption of alcohol in Ireland is it's costing our society. You know, health service. You know, uh, safety at night. Uh, safety of individuals. You know, and, and and there's a high cost to alcohol consumption. But for some reason, we accept that cost. Right. Yeah. You know, there's a very low cost to marijuana consumption. I'm, I'm not oblivious to the yes. harm of it, but yeah. the harm is low. Yes, 100%. So I, you know, no. there, there is a total, but you know, I mean, obviously th- th- there's guys well more versed in it than me, but it all goes back to racism. Well, there's all sorts of shit that goes with right. people's fear of marijuana. Right, 100%. You know, as I sit here in your, your mom's old house, now your house, 
I'm like, oh God, this this pot and alcohol talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna read about this. Well, the last <laughs> joint I ever smoked was with that last drink. I'm gonna read with uh, my next door neighbor who's not here now, but he stopped drinking three months later. Oh, okay. Both of us haven't drank since then. But, I'm just uh, nervous after this conversation. I'm gonna read about you three months. Not a now. chance, bro. <laughs> okay, good, good. I've had plenty. Of, <laughs> right, I've good. had plenty of. Uh, I've All had right, plenty good. of. Uh, no, I'm very po- like. I have no problem with uh, with with dr- like I I'm really a fan of legalizing drugs actually right. because I I. I I see the harm with the criminality associated with drug distribution. I, I think it would put a huge dent in that to, to, sure. to legalize it. Um, one other question. I, I found out, I was just doing a little research on you, even though I, I sort of know you. you. You're a big Bill Hicks fan? Well, that's one, I think that's my, well, I, I'll just say my, uh, in my top five. Really? Yes. Well, the Bill Hicks thing was more like, I started doing comedy, I'd never heard of Bill Hicks. Like a lot of Americans. Who were your guys? Well, growing up, it was, I was I was an Eddie Murphy guy. I don't know if everyone likes to admit that, but I mean, I, I could... Why is it bad to admit that? No, I don't know. But, you know, I, I think like a lot of comics like to try to act like they're cooler than they are. But like Eddie Murphy was like... Eddie Murphy was a god when I was... God to me. And and what is bothersome about him is that he never really went back to stand-up. No. I mean, he had that huge movie career and all, but could you imagine the type of freaking comedy that Eddie Murphy would be doing? Especially today with... With Trump and all this other stuff that you could really have fun uh, goofing yeah. on. I mean, I worshipped him, man. I mean, we watched over and over and over, raw and delirious. delirious like, couldn't amazing. watch it enough. Right. So he was the, I guess, the biggest when I was a kid. Plus, all the in the late '80s, there was just so much comedy on TV. I can't name the guys, but I used to just love watching stand-up. Right. But I, I love Richard Pryor too. Sure. And. I, I liked Richard Jenny because we had Showtime and he had a Showtime special. Right. Most of them had HBO specials, but he had a Showtime special. So I loved Richard Jenny. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess other guys that I saw. But what, when I started doing comedy, I, you know, all the Europeans were into Bill Hicks. Mm. So I rented Bill Hicks specials from Laser Video in Dublin. And then I became like, I used to pray to Bill Hicks before getting on stage. Wow. I, I, I used to pray to, for him to give me the strength to have the courage to talk about those things, you know? Right. And uh, I mean, I've moved on from that time now, but at the time, I, I, I but that's could a good, that's a good guy now. to be stuck on for a while, Bill Hicks. And then once or twice, like, I would get reviews where they'd be like, oh, you know, Hicks-like. And I'd be like, yes, finally. But, but, but in saying that, Here's my problem with European comedians' obsession with Bill Hicks. In that era, people have, you know, it's a little different now, but uh, a lot of guys would be really critical of America. These British guys would be really critical of America, and then people would go, Hicks-like. And I'd be like, no, no, no. What was great about Hicks was he was saying that to people in fucking Virginia. Right. You're saying it to a bunch of people at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. They're already won over. Right. So one of the things I think, I mean, I don't like admitting this because it's like, to me, the booze series, funnily enough, just because we mentioned it, that was not that popular with Irish people. Okay. But to me, that's Hicks-like. Yeah. I've done, I did material about the Iraq war, you know, the second, you know, the second Iraq war. And, you know, post 9-11, I did some tough stuff about America. But it's very popular in Europe. I don't think that, that people say that's Hicks-like. I don't think it is because you're, you're preaching to the fucking sure. converted. Yeah, people don't realize Bill Hicks would say this uh, to an audience that was... Didn't want to hear it, knew, man. And he knew that and it, and it just got him off to go even further. Yeah, he was he was he was something a great special. comic. It's very sad that he died. You know, very he early. was very challenging. And I, I and I think guys like Bill Burr, you know, nowadays, they're they have a Hicks like energy because they touch on subjects that are 
particularly when, particularly with his style. Yes. He likes to start. Yes. In a really tough spot. <laughs> yes. And it's the working out of that tough spot that is entertaining. I, I mean this in a very nice way because I've known Burr over the years. He, he's a sick person. <laughs> yeah. And, and I say that lovingly because he, he would love to get himself in just a horrible hole, like you said, from the get-go, and then try to figure out how to get out of it. How to get out of it, yeah. And also, uh, I mean, Stanhope is like... Stanhope is awesome. Now, now awesome. Stanhope, like, again, the subject matter, it's, it's hard to compare the subject matter because Hicks was of his time, but... You know, stand-up is that otherworldly guy that's basically saying what the consensus may not be uh, acceptable. Right. And that's what Hicks was doing at the time, yeah. too. Now, obviously, the consensus changes, society changes. Sure. So, it, that I mean, people say that is the comedian's job. And that's why, like, whether people like Michelle Wolf or not, that's why Michelle Wolf to me, is Hicks-like because... She does challenge the consensus. Yeah. It, it, it takes balls to do that. It takes that's, a lot of fucking balls. That's not balls. easy to do, man. Not easy, man. Yeah. It takes a lot of balls. You know the Bill Burr story in Philly? With you guys, of yeah. course. I feel like you guys... I don't, know if that, that, I don't know if that event gets enough credit for launching his career, but I, I always tell people that I think that was the beginning of his meteoric rise. Uh, I, I would say so. I wish there was a better copy of that. I know someone at Live Nation has to have a, a board copy of that. From the board, and I would love to get that out there because there's there's a bad version. But how it goes, we did this uh, comedy festival back in the day, uh, Opie and Anthony, and Bill Burr was not well known, and he was sort of just becoming popular on the radio show, but not as much. And and our audience back there, they were tough. They, yes. they were tough. But then when they finally accepted you, forget it. They'll go to every show, you know, and they'll support you right to the end. But Burr was having a tough time in Philly. He was the third guy on. It was uh, Dom Marrera, I know, who should kill, right? And then it was uh, Jimmy Schubert, who's from Philly. Those played two- at my club in Beijing. Really, Schubert? Schubert came to Beijing because I ran an English language night too. But he played it. He played it. Yeah. So, I mean, I laugh at this, but uh, Schubert bombed in front of his family that were sitting pretty much in <laughs> Philly in front of like fifteen thousand people. For some reason, we all found that hilarious. I, I guess because we're all sick you know, yeah, inside, yeah, yeah. you know. Because I love Jimmy Schubert, and I want him to do. But well, well. you also know that he's a good comic, so right. it's not like you're insulting. But him a lot of us, uh, a lot of us, after the show, we were like going through the scenario that he had to go out to di- uh, breakfast the next day with his family, and they know that he just bombed in front of fifteen thousand people, and how that would be. We Such an awkward. I hate bombing yeah. and then having to be with the yeah, people. Yeah, we, you know, and we wanted to be a fly on the wall as he's trying to have breakfast in, with his family after bombing in Philly. But anyway. Uh, I, I was next to Bill Burr backstage, so Schubert bombed because cause the crowd wasn't having it. They were, they, to them, it was a, a huge party, too. And, I, I mean, Jimmy Schubert should not have bombed is what I'm trying to say, uh, you know. And then Don Marrero, who's a seasoned comic, he bombs. From Philly. And, and Oh, he's from Philly originally? Yeah, he's from Philly. Everyone thinks he's from New York. He's a Philly guy. I did guy. not know that. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm next to Bill Burr, and there's a bunch of us backstage, and he's just pacing. And he's like, they ain't fucking doing this to me. They ain't fucking doing this. He's panicking, but also getting really worked up. Goes out there. And the first couple minutes, they won't even let him get jokes out. I mean, I've heard it, so I know. Yeah, that. so they're now like, fuck, boo, right away. Because now they, they feel like they're controlling the whole show. And, that, and the audience is now getting off on that. And the rest is history. Then he decided to just take on Philly in general and trash He's everything. He's not even a real guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the amazing part of it was seeing Bill just 
dig in and go, fuck you, I'm doing every minute of my time. I think they had like 20 minutes back then. And there was a clock and he would be saying, yeah, there's five That's minutes. Right, I got right. five minutes left and they're still booing and he's making fun of Rocky and the Flyers yeah. and everyone he could think of. And then to watch the turn was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I'm not joking, in my life. All of a sudden he said something and there was like a little like chuckle, a little like... And then you watch this crowd that wanted to hate him just completely turn. And by the end of it, they give him a fucking standing ovation. Oh, they gave him a standing ovation? A standing ovation. And Bill Burr, the rest is history. I know. Not that he didn't have the talent to begin with. But no, like you said, that just catapulted No, but I remember him. because he came to Ireland years ago to do the Cat Laughs Comedy Festival. Right. And so I met him. Yeah, we've been talking for ages. And uh, then I didn't hear of him again. Until that, really, and that was, the, and then from then on, all I ever did was hear about it. Yeah, you know the other side of that. So then, went, our next stop, I think, was Cleveland, and you know we're big radio show and stuff. So we now tell everybody what happened in Philly, and everyone in Cleveland were trying to get that to happen again. So Bill Burr went out, and they started booing him, and he's just like, what are you, what are you I did this already. Me? Yeah, but nah, whatever. But that that was the other side of it. But well, you, you, you had some crazy fans back in the day. Uh, to this day, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're insane. They're rapid, The Opie and Anthony they're, crowd. They're passionate, man. They hate that me and Anthony aren't doing radio anymore. Yeah. And they're picking sides and all this crap. And I sit there like, just enjoy what we were able to accomplish, man. It's I've been, on, I've been on his show, too, yeah. Yeah. But you guys are different guys. Totally different. Well, yeah. I mean, the problem is, I mean, there's a lot of problems at this point. But uh, we just grew apart, man. I mean, we... We lasted way longer than I think we should have. I did it with him and Artie. It's very hard to get a word in. (laughs) (laughs) Artie's very funny though, man. Artie's funny. He's funny, but it's hard to... And when he gets in his flow, it's hard hard to fit in with his flow, man. He's fucking... How many times did he walk out as as he was on the show? Oh, he walked a lot, but only just to pee or whatever the Uh, fuck. No, 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 I, I, I... I, I, he, I love Artie. I'm not. I, I don't want to trash him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, he, he's been at the cell. You know, he's doing crashing and everything. So he's been in. He, he's in a good place these days. Hopefully, it appears so. Yeah. Oh, good, good. It appears so. Yeah, I, I miss doing radio with him. He's he, he was doing radio with me at, uh, at the end there, and actually, the company wanted wanted uh, us to team up, and I was like, I I, I knew the issues, and I'm like, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, but he is a great. It was a great He's chatter. amazing. Yes. Right. And he's just so naturally funny. Yeah. He literally just doesn't speak a sentence that's not funny. No, no. He's one of those he's guys. He's got a joke about everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I I don't know if there's other things to talk about in life, so I guess you can't be funny all the time, but he just seems to have... Right. Everything's funny. Right. Because a lot of stand-ups... Uh, not a lot. I shouldn't say that, but you know, there's stand-ups that have very funny sets, but aren't funny people. Yes. I, and that was the one thing I had to learn when I was doing a radio show because I would bring guys in I don't need to name names and I'm like wow that guy said is hilarious I gotta get him on the radio and then he comes in and, and he's just a stiff yeah well, but he knows how to the radio. But he knows how to write really good stand up and then there were other guys that weren't great writers that were just hilarious in the room and then you would go to Caroline's or whatever to see him and like how is this the same guy it was weird how that worked yeah because well, I think radio I think it's a little bit of a different skill you think there's like uh, intimidation and I don't know I just think radio you just have to be a good fucking conversationalist right yeah you know stand up attracts a lot of people that are weird and some of those weird people find a funniness in their weirdness but their weirdness doesn't translate to like four guys sitting around right shooting the shit you guys are a unique breed <laughs> I try to be the most normal I, you come across that way. I try to be like the most normal of the I, comics. I, I, I was uh, doing research, uh, you know, and I'm, 
I'm just mumbling to myself. I know there's something wrong with him. I'll find it. Oh, they, they, trust me, there's something <laughs> I'm kidding, wrong. I'm I'm I got, I, I'll line up 20 girlfriends to tell you, fucking right, this I'm guy. Kidding. There's something wrong with this guy, man. No, man. You were pretty open today. I love it. Uh, one last thing, and I'm, maybe we can do it. Maybe we can't. You doing uh, jump around in Chinese that has oh, made yeah. it all over the internet, and you do it in Gaelic and and in Chinese. Do the club, do the veil, ace name a scale. Look happy to get ticket to Tom to Kuna Gale. Tom Shonin, Kobo, Yingshan, go to Bowok and Tongwa, Yah, Eka Kokao, the Jawa, Najo, how, Simbia, Kawa, Shao, Dajas, I eat you lie, Tao, we tell them and from Kwan, they tell, take a phone call of Budao, Dajas, I see Kwan, Tao, Kwan, Tao, Kwan, Tao, Kwan, Tao, Dajas, I eat you, Kwan, Tao. Yeah, well, I did it originally for the Gaelic show. Right. And then became a thing. Right. But that actually, the great thing about the Irish version of it was that, like, people know that song. Like, sure. they, if I If I did that song live, a lot of the crowd would, like, know it. Right. Because it became big in the, all these, all these second, the high school kids, a lot of them go away for three weeks of the summer to help learn Irish. Right. So that's, like, one of the songs that they all okay. dance to. So that's, like, that's, like, a song people know. The Chinese version is just for fun because the Chinese people have no cultural connection to jump around. You know, we do. So it's like a huge song. Oh, it it made me laugh out loud. Don't you have a podcast? I haven't checked it out. I have, but I haven't been uh, updating it as of late. Why, man? Because I'm a lazy bastard. (laughs) And you're enjoying your summer out here. No, but also, I'm sure you've noticed this with doing the podcast. Like, obviously, today you organize this with me yourself. It's the admin. Right. It's not the podcasting, it's the admin. Right. Do you have anyone helping you? You probably do. Yeah, yeah, I got a few people. You're probably getting paid too, right? A little bit. Yeah, I wasn't getting motherfucking paid, that's why. (laughs) But it helps promote shows. No, no, podcasts are great. No, I loved it, man. But honestly, part of the problem with my podcast was, you know, because I'm well-known in Ireland, as an Irish podcast, it was killing it. Right. But when I moved here, I started talking more to American comics. It would, literally, the listenership would just, just like drop by half, which was totally fine. But after a while, it was just like, I think when I do, I'm going to start a new podcast. And when I do, I'll make clear what it is. Yeah. But I'll start it in America and let it grow that way. All right. There you go. You know? I think you should be doing it, man. You got a lot to say. Oh, no, no. I, I definitely will be doing it. I, I have some ideas. I thought I'd come by for a little quick little uh, conversation with yeah, you. And we talked for an hour and a half. Hour and a half later. Yeah. What do you want to promote, man? So what do I got coming up? I got, I'm in Phoenix. What is that? House of Comedy in Phoenix. Uh, Labor Day weekend, Thursday to Saturday. Then I'm in a DC Draft House, September 21st. And I'm in Edmonton nice. uh, at the end of September. Very nice. Those are my American dates. Then I got some Irish stuff coming up. And your Instagram, I see you on at the beach. Des Bishop, D-E-S-B-I-S-H-O-P. Yeah. You like the Instagram? Well, I got no choice. It's the, <laughs> it's the one that matters at the moment, you know? Absolutely. I got a great Twitter following, a great Facebook following, but it's just not as important as my less uh, Instagram following. I think Instagram is way more important. I, I, Twitter's just become a cesspool, unfortunately. Very angry. So uh, I pushed my Instagram at this bishop. Plus, Instagram's very good for the, for the DMs, you know? Oh, Can't, for the ladies. For the ladies. My only ladies. vice. You got a lady in your life. <laughs> so, uh, and, and uh, well, I'm on Raya. I'm on the celebrity Tinder. So that's... that's what is that all about? Oh, that, that, that's the next podcast, yo. Really? I'll tell you about Raya. But you're married, right? Yeah. But I mean... Oh, that's good timing. Hey, there's one of my ladies right here. Hey! <laughs> no, this is Lady She's actually an Irish actress. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fine. Come in. Oh yeah, we're recording a podcast. So wait, uh, she didn't know you were here, but just walked no, in the she, house. I think I had said that we were going to be like walking around. Oh, oh. Yeah. hi, so, Opie. Hi, in a great, sorry. in a great Irish uh, drama series called Love Hate. 
Which, if anybody ever gets a chance to watch... She, she's scared of this. That this thing doesn't bite. I just turn into Dougal. I'm like, hello, hi. She's even, she's even using references that nobody will know about. Nobody's that's a reference to Father Ted. That's actually quite funny, if he's new. Okay, deal. <laughs> that's funny. No, that's that's my cue to get the hell out of here. This is one of my hoes. No, just I should back. go. I was just going to go for a wee. Did you just call me ho? I'm kidding! Uh, mm, so funny. So you're going to go, go, go for a wee? I'm going to go for a wee. Okay, great. All, right. All good podcasts finish. Oh, that's a great way to finish. <laughs> the woman pee. <laughs> Des has a whole uh, show up. That's how we end this. Oh my God, you know she's a great actress, actually. You rule, Des uh, Bishop. I've been wanting to do this for a while, so thank oh, you so thanks, much, man. buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks All right. so much. All right. Oh, I liked her voice. Great guest, talented comic. Go to desbishop.net for his new podcast, live dates, and more. Follow him at desbishop on Twitter and Instagram. And leave us a comment on this episode. Rate us five stars. Share the link with a friend. Get a hat or shirt at opiradio.com. And thanks for subscribing. I'd like to personally thank Opie for not calling attention to that Mr. Softy ice cream truck theme around the 106 mark. We know how much he loves podcast sounds on Opie Radio. The Westwood One Podcast Network. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. With unprecedented numbers of women entering the political arena, we bring you Run Like a Girl, a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting women who have the guts to dare greatly and run for office. Subscribe for free in Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.